All right. This is a pre-podcast service announcement, PPSA. There's some swears in this episode, so if you are easily offended by F-bombs, might not be for you. It's mostly just the intro part um, where this is happening, but in in the outro, not the guest. This is me, and um, yeah, so you've been warned. Before we get into this episode, I feel compelled to just talk a little bit about COVID-19, the coronavirus, because it's not often I get passionate about something going on in the world, I'll be honest. I'm not the person who normally is the most educated on what's going on, but I have been doing a lot of research and a lot of learning and listening to podcasts and it's just I can't even begin to understand why people are not taking social distancing more seriously uh quarantining more seriously when they've come back from the like another country on a vacation so I'm just gonna give you my Coles note version because I have to assume people who are not taking it seriously just maybe don't have the facts And when you don't have the facts, how can you maybe make the right choices, right? So I will also say, I do not believe there's, this is none of any of this is an overreaction, but let's just say it's an overreaction and we go further than needed. I sure shit rather that than have a a way more intense crisis on my hands. But, um, a lot of people are kind of going about their day acting like business as usual, you know, their kids are not in school, so they're having play dates. Like, the common sense that's lacking in my brain right now, or in other people's brain, is just mind-boggling to me. Having your kids home from school is not so that you can have play dates. It's otherwise they should just stay in school. The point of all this is to slow the spread, and I don't want to sound condescending in any way, so I'm sure half of you know, or most of you know all this, and But I will say that reading some of this information in different terms and understanding what is really at the heart of all this right now is what's important. So, you know, many of us are like, well, it's fine. It's just like a flu. Most of us are going to be just fine. And truth be told, many of us maybe have already had corona or will have corona or currently have corona and have no idea that we do. And that's the problem. A lot of people have it and are asymptomatic. The bigger problem isn't you know, for me, for example, when I think about me staying home right now, I'm not staying home because I'm afraid that I'm going to get so sick that I could die or be hospitalized. I mean, of course, there's like that could happen. I don't really anticipate that happening personally, but also my partner Dave does have asthma, so potentially higher risk there. But I'm staying at home because the whole point of staying home is to slow the spread because we don't want to overwhelm the medical system. So I am already talking to a nurse in, I'm in Canada for those of you who happen not to know that, Um, and she's in Kitchener, Ontario, and she's already, her stress levels are through the roof. She has had to send her family to, she didn't have to, she made the choice to because she's a responsible, smart person to the cottage because she knows how much she's putting herself at risk and her family at risk. And so now she goes home every day to herself 
and she's working already without masks. She's being asked to do certain procedures without masks and she's terrified. She's so scared. We, we've heard of other doctors, like basically other doctors who have had to quarantine themselves and are not able to see and touch their newborn babies because they're doing the right thing. So it's, you know, I have a, actually a client who's a doctor. She's had medical procedures for her cancel, cancer patients canceled. So this is basically, this is what's at stake right now is that they don't have enough ventilators, they don't have enough masks, they don't have enough of the tools that they need in the hospital to deal with the issues of the people who are at risk. And unfortunately, because many of both, I think, in the U.S. and in Canada, we're not in a place right now to be able to test everybody like some other countries have had. So basically, the problem is that the doctors are going to get to a point if we don't slow the spread. It's not that we're going to stop it from happening. It's that we want it to happen at a slower rate so that hospitals can handle it and be able, in the meantime, for hopefully, you know, mandated other industries to create ventilators and masks and do what we need to do to get what we need in the hospital so that we can handle the influx of people in the hospitals so that doctors and nurses and whoever doesn't have to make horrific choices. It's almost sociopathic not to be thinking about other others other than our own selves and your I'm sorry, I might still have, I might lose followers or listeners because of this, but you're an asshole if you're not social distancing right now and you're not taking this seriously. It's not a big deal to stay home if, even if you have a little bit of a cough or a tickle in your throat or a, a headache. A lot of people are talking about headaches. Some people even didn't have fevers for a long time. I'm going to read some of the stuff that I've actually um, read online because it's been just so wildly healthy. So the first thing I'm going to I'm going to read is what is social distancing. So what is and isn't social distancing because I don't think everybody truly understands this either. So here's what you need to avoid. Group gatherings. Don't have a party. Don't have people over. Don't go visit your mom and dad. No, unless you're staying at least, they're saying at least six feet away. Some, I don't know how that translates into meters, but just use six feet as your rule of thumb. If you want to go visit your neighbor, knock on the door, stand six feet away, stand at the sidewalk, talk to them, do what you got to do. Sleepovers, not okay. Playdates, peeps, not okay. Going to the park, playing on equipment on the park, not okay. Going to the park, hanging out in groups of kids or other people at the park, not okay, unless you're playing a game where you're six feet apart. Um, concerts, obviously, that's all been canceled. Theater outings, athletic, all these things have been canceled. Don't go to the mall. Like, There's nothing at the mall you need. Go to the grocery store. And when I went to the grocery store on Sunday, which is going to be the last time I have dedicated, I have a slight cough. And on two days ago, it was kind of aggravated. So I mentally decided me and Dave are not going to go anywhere aside from maybe a walk around the block where we're away from people. If you're walking on the sidewalk and somebody's walking near you, I know this sounds crazy and psychotic, but the whole way, the, the way that this is, they believe this is actually being, um, uh, spread is through the water droplets, through sneezes, coughs. So if you're walking by somebody and they sneeze or cough while you're walking by them and don't cover their mouth because they're also an asshole, then you're putting yourself at risk. Plus, we don't totally have all the facts. So just wide berth it. No big deal. Dave and I just take a wide berth. If the person stands the ground on the sidewalk, uh, walk over about, you know, take a wide, somebody just texted me, wide berth about six feet. 
obviously most gyms are hopefully closed, but don't go to the gym. Don't be an asshole and go to the gym. There's nothing good going on at the gym. A lot of gyms are doing virtual workouts. Today and yesterday, I did a virtual workout with a friend, which is making it super fun and much more, much more likely for me to do it. Uh, don't have non-essential workers in your house. Uh, as designers, I mean, I'm personally, I don't control what other companies are doing, but a lot of the contractors I know have mostly put things to a halt. It really depends on where you are. One thing that's important to note that, you know, people are talking about I'm not in a hot spot. It does not matter. The problem is you don't know where hot spots are because they're not testing everybody. And there's a lot of cases that are being shed to light that people who are asymptomatic actually have corona. So don't don't use the fact that nobody's been um, diagnosed or whatever you want to call it in your area. But I want to give a uh, shout out to Christine Dovey because she's one of the people that I've been following and really reading a lot of the stuff that she's sharing that's just just been so wildly helpful to me in understanding what's going on. You know, some people she knows uh, felt like they had some mild symptoms, but they're not testing. Now, they're not testing which sucks. I wish we could, but they also don't want to bog down the tests. We need the tests to be able to make sure that we're testing people we need to because we also don't have enough tests. So in a perfect world, everybody would just get tested, but we're not really in a position to do that. So sit on that for a hot minute. People with symptoms, if you call, if you don't have the high end, like the biggest symptoms like fever and an intense cough and struggle to breathe, you're not even going to get tested. So what that means is there are a lot of people walking around, possibly in your, what you're considering not a hotspot, who potentially has it. And then, but the wrong person ends up actually um, getting it. Somebody who is high risk, who is high risk? People over, I think it was the age of 60, people with other, um, you know, situations like uh, diabetes. They're, they're saying people uh, who are pregnant are also high risk. So please be careful. They're saying, um, you know, anybody with immune um, disorders, uh, obviously, if you have had like other additional comorbid stuff, then you're going to have some issues too. Also, it's important to note, I was listening to another podcast that, you know, how China was affected and who was being shown to be high risk is very different than other populations because, you know, they just have a different environment than we do. And, you know, their government's different and maybe they live their lives a lot differently. So we unfortunately are seeing some younger people be more affected. And they're also saying like there could, you know, you might not die, which, you know, most of us are going to get in and not die. Um, And the good news is probably there's way more people than are actually formally diagnosed. So the, the death rate is probably lower percentage than is known right now, which is good news. But also it just means that more of us have it, which are now like, I think they're linking, bear with me a hot minute, I think they're linking one person having it to potentially infecting like 50 more. Okay, that is something I would like to try to double check. Um, I'm posting a lot of this in a in a highlight reel as well. Um, let me just see here. I'm going to go to something Christina, or sorry, Christine Dovey shared because she's killing it. Um, let's see. Scientists traces five fifty Corona infections back to a single person. I was, I actually retained that. Um, that's, that's old. I actually think it might be higher now. They, they've had some other statistics on that. Okay. Back to what is social distancing. I'm all over the place, peeps. Look, I'm not a journalist, just a person 
trying to share some information and do my part. I don't have a huge amount of listeners, but apparently there's at least 800 people that listen to this. And if they can get some valid, relevant information from this, then I feel really good about that. All right. So avoid that. And okay. So use caution. Now they're actually, now they're saying to order food and it's, it's, you know, they're saying to order food from restaurants, especially local business to help their, you know, help help those businesses. And if um, basically what you want to do is anytime you're getting a delivery of any sort, just kind of, you know, if you couldn't note it in the delivery order, then just kind of, you know, wave them and say, just put it down and let them leave and then grab it. And a lot of people are saying you can take out whatever has been delivered out of the original packaging and leave the packaging outside. Um, you know, so use caution when going to pick up medication. So for example, Shoppers Drug Mart here is doing a good job of only letting a certain amount of people in, making people stay far away. So use your own caution to try to stay away from people at least six feet. Grocery store is the same thing. And don't be an asshole. Don't touch more than you need to touch. Um, what you can do though, is you can go outside and go for a walk. You can go places like, you know, if you're a designer and you have a studio outside your home, for example, um, you could in theory go to your studio if you're the only one there. But, you know, Dave and Dave was saying to me yesterday, like, could we just be going for car rides? And I was like, you know what, we should be, I mean, we're going to go bring his parents mail because they were away for a while in Boston and they're on quarantine, which I'm going to talk about in a second, but we're just going to drop it off and leave. And they're going to, we're going to have them leave it outside for, or in their garage for a while before they grab it. But, um, I just said to him, like, why, why use gas? Why drive around? Like we're going to have to get gas, you know, why add kilometers to our leased car unnecessarily when I'm already worried about kilometers there. Like instead, let's just go for walks if you want to get out and have a change of pace. Um, but anyway, uh, obviously wash your hands all of the time, peeps. And I've learned a lot about how to properly wash your hand, Google how to wash your hands proper. Um, but you can do yard work. Uh, you can do group video chats. You can go for a drive, it says. Uh, you can hang out with the people in your own home. Okay, so let's talk about quarantining. So for all the people who still went away on March break, doing my best not to judge, but for all of you who did go somewhere outside of the country or potentially even outside the province on March break, here's what quarantine is. Quarantine is you go home. You directly go home. You do not go to the grocery store. Find somebody not in quarantine to deliver you groceries. You do not go um, for a walk outside even. You, they don't even want you to go outside. It's two weeks of your life. You're going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. Get people to check in on you if you're alone. If you, were, if you were away with somebody else, maybe hang out with them. I don't really know. Maybe that's not the right thing to say. But quarantine is not leaving your house at all, ever, period, for nothing. You send somebody else to get you medications, you send somebody else to get you grocery store food, and you do it for two weeks, period. It is mandated. This is not a mandated in to which degree because it can't be controlled. But if you don't do this, you're an asshole. That's all I have to say about that. Boom. Not gonna, that's it. Um, okay. So I talked already about like it being spread before people were asymptomatic. If you're thinking you do have anything going on, um, and you're a little nervous, just don't take Advil. Um, I got a recording through, uh, Facebook saying that, you know, I don't know the legitimacy of this information, but they did some autopsies on some of the people. And they're saying that the, 
The real problem that gets um, escalated is after it gets into your lungs. So if you're starting to feel a tickle in your throat or a cough, then they're talking about, um, you know, starting to drink hot liquids like every 20 minutes, gargling with like salt water um, and trying to make that a priority because that's going to help loosen the mucus and hopefully it doesn't get into your lungs, which is when the real problem happens. Um, but obviously uh, getting a lot of sleep, trying to get a lot of sleep, drinking a lot of water, fluids, washing your hands regularly, trying to wipe surfaces in your own home, all of that good stuff. Um, so I think that's really all I have to say about that. Um, it's, it's, it's just so much bigger than being worried for ourselves. It's, it's so much bigger than that. It's, it's just so much bigger. And I just really am disheartened at people who keep saying, I'm going to be fine. Most people, I'm just, I'm going to be fine. Just, I'm going to get it. No big deal. Not the point. The point is slowing the spread, not to overwhelm our medical system who does not have enough equipment. If we continue at the rate that was happening in uh, Italy, which by the way, apparently in the States, the rate is, is faster than what was at Italy at the same time. And I don't know what's going on there. I've been hearing some crazy stuff. So I hope that I hope that Trump starts to not be an idiot. More followers and listeners lost. Don't give a fuck. Um, lots of swears here. Anyways, a couple podcasts you can live to, live to, listen to, um, is that I has I've really enjoyed so far is CNN's podcast, which is sorry to be a downer, guys, but this, it's irresponsible not to talk about this, I feel like, if you have even a small amount of platform. Okay, so there's a podcast called BBC Global Update. Good one. Um, there's another one I'm listening to, CNN, Corona Fact versus Fiction. I started listening to Pod Save America. There's a couple specific um, to what's going on. Um, if you're a Trump supporter, you're probably not going to like it, though. And um, just... If you're not a news listener, I am not. Start, don't overwhelm yourself to a point of anxiety. But, and also I have, I should say the point of all this is not to, not to overreact with like chaos and fear. It's to do the right things, remaining calm as much as possible, you know, doing, you know, implementing self-care, taking the time, meditating, working out, going for a walk outside if you're not in quarantine or um, all of that good stuff. But um, I just lost my train of thought, but it's just, oh, what I was going to say is, but it is important to educate yourself. I just really, truly believe that if more people actually knew more of the facts, then people would be making very different decisions. All right, guys, with all of that said, I, I actually do have a podcast for you today and it's a really, really, really good one. So with all of that, let's do this. All right, guys, I'm here today with Stacey Brown Randall, who's the author of Generating Business Without Asking and the host of Roadmap to Grow Your Business. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm super pumped. I was just telling, I was just telling Stacey that I've actually had her podcast in my podcast, like my library, which at this point, it just scrolls so long that sometimes I forget <laughs> podcasts are even on here. So now I'm moving it up to the front so that I can start listening to it on the regular. But um, yeah, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your backstory and, and how you 
like how long you've been doing this and how you started to kind of niche into referral stuff. Absolutely. Now, do you want the long version or the short version? You know what? Whatever you feel compelled to tell us. <laughs> we got time. We, we're well, in quarantine. What are we going to do right. now? <laughs> it's funny when people are like, tell us your backstory. I'm like, now, if you give me permission to go long story, I'll go long story. Yeah, hey, <laughs> you know what? Whatever you feel you want to share, maybe not an hour long because I want to <laughs> talk about the good stuff, but yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm not that interesting for an hour. So don't worry if we're just going to talk about me and we got problems. <laughs> so, you know, when people ask me about my backstory and they're always like, okay, so how did you somehow figure out how to teach people or for yourself and then to teach people how to generate referrals without asking when that goes against all the conventional advice that has been out there for decades. Like, how do you teach people to do it without asking, without paying for them and without having to be overly promotional and gimmicky? Like, what makes you so special? And my response is always sheer necessity and the grace of God. Mm -hmm. That is ultimately how I am able to do what I do today. And I didn't I didn't start teaching people this. I didn't wake up one day and be like, you know what? I'm just going to debunk how we've been taught to do referrals for decades Mm -hmm. and find a different way. And then I'm just going to make a business out of it. Like I did not wake up and say, this is my life now. What I woke up to one day was the realization that I had a business that failed. And I had to accept the fact that an HR consulting firm that I had started way back more than 10 years ago now had failed and had made it four years, did not quite make it to the five-year mark. It was an HR consulting firm. When you look, if, if we, you and I were having a conversation about my business, like back in its like first couple of years, yeah. you would have been like, whoa, she's crushing it because I was having articles published in well-known HR publications and I was on Bloomberg, interviewed on Bloomberg News and I had all these big clients like KPMG, which is one of the largest accounting firms mm-hmm. in, in the world and like uh, BDO, which is another accounting firm, Ally Bank, Coca-Cola Bottling Consolidated. Like you would have looked at what it seemed like, you know, from the outside looking in, what it seemed like to be a business that was on fire. Yeah. And the truth was that business had moments of being on fire, but the fire always went out. Mm -hmm. And I found myself four years into my business in a place that no business owner should ever find themselves. We all start out in this place. We should never still be there four years in. And for me, that place was on the feast or famine hamster wheel of bringing in work. So I would get a client and I would be super excited. I work really hard to get that client to be super excited. Then I would go into my office, shut the door and do the work and then look up when the work was done and be like, Oh crap. Yeah. I can relate to that. I I think, I think, you know, I have a lot of interior designers that I work with and they're like, yeah, that's my life. Yeah. Like for sure. Right. We get so excited, right? I'm going to renovate this house or I'm going to redo this kitchen. And then you're like doing it and you're in your place. And you're like, because we all become business owners because we're good at something, Mm -hmm. not because we're trying to be the most amazing business owner. Yeah. We just don't. We're like, you guys are good at like the creative stuff and and the interior design that like comes naturally to you. And to me, I'm like, I mean, isn't it just some paint and some fabric? Like, (laughs) right. But that's your, that's your jam. And that's what makes, that's what makes you guys get up every day and want to go to work. And for me at that point, it was just HR consulting that I was doing. So I was good at the work. It was filling the pipeline of consistently in an ongoing way of prospects that I could eventually turn into clients. And so it wasn't bringing people out the bottom of that prospecting funnel or that pipeline and turning them into clients. It was putting more people in the top 
so that I had a steady stream of people for potential clients. And so for me, every business starts out that way. It's okay to start out that way. You should start out that way. You should be looking around saying, I'm going to get some business. You're going to start trying to get some business. You land a couple of clients. It's okay to put your head down. And it's okay to be on that treadmill like your first year, maybe tipping into your second year. But I was still on it come my fourth year. And at that point, it starts to impact your mindset. It starts to impact your scalability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ultimately, for me, it became the thing that led to my ultimate failure, which was I was all of a sudden in a place where I had to admit defeat because I couldn't fill the pipeline. And at some point, you'll have stretches of time where you just have to decide, am I in or am I out? Yeah. When you ask yourself that, am I in or am I out multiple times, eventually the answer becomes, I'm out. Yeah. Because you just can't keep asking it because nothing's changing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have small children. I mean, they're now not so small, but back then they were small. And it was like, you know, I'd have those moments of like, this business is terrible. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. I really should probably make some, some, some work trying to find some prospects or whatever. Yeah. But you know, I'm just going to go do laundry and then join my kids in the backyard. Well, and, and truth be told, it's just, it's as business owners on our own, when we're solo, it, you're basically doing the job of five different people. So something always seems to take the back seat. And unfortunately, sometimes it's that. It is. And the, you know, the so reality hard. of it is, yeah. And the reality of it is, is that usually what takes the back seat when we're business owners, usually what takes the back seat is the thing we're not good at. Yeah. In my case, the client piece, like the bringing in client piece, kind of a make or a break part of yeah. your business. Yeah. So you have to have clients coming in or you have no revenue, which means you have no business, no matter how good you are at whatever it is that you do. And so figuring out the bringing prospects into my business really became the linchpin that led to my downfall because I didn't figure it out. And what, for me, what I knew, and I don't know if this is the same way for you, Michelle, but for me, I instantly knew, listen, I can do a lot of things for a short amount of time. I can yeah. cold call if I have to. I'd rather shoot myself in the head. Oh my God. really violent, but I would rather. <laughs> As would I. Right? Than have to cold call or cold email or spend every night of the week networking mm. or going to coffees because I, I got three kids running around. Like we, yeah. we got, we, we're doing baseball. We're, you know, we're doing all kinds of stuff. We got, you know, trapeze. We got all kinds of things going on in our lives. So like, <laughs> amazing. I, no, right? That's my daughter. She just is, she's. She's just a different child. She's like, soccer? No, I want to go hang from silks on the ceiling. That's my <laughs> She's dog. doing trapeze, which is like the metaphor for us running our business too. <laughs> <laughs> no, my God, I never thought about it that way. So true. <laughs> so true. So I don't want to spend every night networking. I don't want to no. spend time cold calling. I don't want to cold email. I don't want to have to go out there and spend tons of money in advertising if I don't have the money. Like we can do any of those things for a short amount of time. It's finding the things that work for us from a prospecting perspective that will work for the long term. And that's what I ultimately was missing with my first business. So after four years, I would have to admit defeat. I would have to join. I'd have to, you know, be given my my card and the uh, um, the business failure club. Like I literally. I, I made up my own little card and then the business failure club, I got my membership card. I had to take my membership card in the business failure club and I had to go get a job. I mean, I had to go get a W2. I had to go buy suits again. Oh man. Yeah, it was tough. It's it rough. Tough. <laughs> it's actually like the yeah. ultimate like dagger yeah. in the no, heart. <laughs> it's so true because I really feel like once you work for yourself, the, it just, the idea of ever going back and working for somebody else, working for corporate, whatever, it's just so like painful. 
It, you know, it's so, so terrible about it. Like for me, I always joke around. I'm like, oh man, I got to take a shower for somebody else. I know. Like, you know, I got to get up. I got to get ready. But for the, I think the hardest part for me, now here's the thing. The company I went to work for was actually a pretty cool company. Yeah. And it's not to say that I didn't like the people I worked for. I really adored my boss. I didn't like the work I was doing. Like I actually kind of like it was like miserable work for me, but I did it because I had a skill set and I could do it even though I was like dying a little bit more every day, even yeah. though I liked my coworkers and I liked, um, I liked being on the leadership team and I liked the, um, the CEO that I worked for at the end of the day, it was like, this is killing me. But the yeah. hardest part was, is I would drive to work in the morning and you know, when you're in a really, and I know we're grown adults, but sometimes we find ourselves in places we don't want to be. And so we find ways to rebel yeah. Just to have some satisfaction and control over the miserable situation. So I would stop at Starbucks every morning to deliberately make myself five or 10 minutes late <laughs> just because I could, but I would like drive to work. And then I would literally, what would like wake me up from my trance is I could hear my heels clicking on the marble in the lobby as I walked into the building and heading into my office. And that would like wake me up and I'd be like, huh, oh my God. how do I get here today? Like yeah. how many red lights did I actually, like I couldn't yeah. remember my morning. Autopilot, yeah. Autopilot so zoned out. And so what I realized when I took that time in that job and looking back on the business failure, like why did I fail? What happened? What are other people doing that they're not failing? So what are they doing different from me? I'm looking at all the scenarios and I'm like, really it comes down to filling that pipeline in a way consistently that A, will work. And B, I will enjoy doing it. And it does nice. need to go in that order, right? It does need to work and you do need to enjoy doing it. And I'm not going to say you're only going to have one way. There's, I have multiple ways that I fill my pipeline, but I wanted the main way to be the thing I enjoyed the most. And so I'm, you know, in all of like researching, I'm like, okay, you know what I didn't ever get in my very first business? Referrals. I'm like, but wait, okay. those are like the holy grail of all things prospects, right? Like everybody wants a referred new client. Like, yeah. And then I looked back in my business. I was like, huh, didn't get one referral in that business. Well, technically I did get one referral in my HR consulting firm before when it failed, but it was actually, that referral came two years after I'd already shut the doors. <laughs> so oh. oh, good. It was there, right? <laughs> it was possible. It just yeah. didn't happen when I needed it. And so I was like, okay, great. And I'm going to, so let me just back up for half a second. Sure. So when I left corporate America, again, after that job I had to take, I actually became a certified productivity and business coach. Ooh, I like. So I actually got certified in that. And that's what I started to do. And that is the second business that I okay. grew. Yeah. And so I was like, so when I say I teach people how to get referrals without asking by sheer necessity, because I looked at my pipeline of how I was going to make this coaching practice successful. And I said, how am I going to do it? Because how I was doing it wasn't working. Now my children are older. And a few years later into this second business, we would add a third child into the mix. And so I was like, how am I going to make this work better? Yep. I want referrals. Okay. That's awesome. I didn't get any in the first business. Obviously then I don't know how to do it. So how do I get referrals? So like everybody, I went to the all knowing Google and I was like, tell me Google, how do I get referrals? <laughs> and so Google tells you and Google tell you things like it'll give you books and sales Ooh. training and articles. Yeah. And they'll all center around this idea that you've got to pay for them or that you have to ask for them. And I was like, oh my God, that's like a cousin to a cold call. Don't make yeah. me ask, right? It feels so gross. It does. And the, my favorite article that I found, and it's one of the things I love to talk about, but my favorite article was 25 ways not to look desperate when asking for referrals. <laughs> I was like, if you, need, right, if you need 25 ways not to look like something when you're doing something, what do you think you look like? Yeah. Desperate. And it's funny because like, 
I, I, truth be told, I've literally never asked for a referral. So I can't wait to find out how to not ask for a referral effectively. Cause, but a lot of coaches or whatever do say like at the end of the project, just ask for the referral. But it's like, you know what, in our business, people aren't just going to like, people have friends who need it. Like it, you're like, it, it's going to happen organically. They're not just going to say like, Hey friend, I want you to refer you like, so it's so hard and awkward. I've never asked. So I'm very excited to hear more about what we need to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. This podcast is supported by Ultralux Linens. That's right, guys. And if you have not reached out or gone to visit Ultralux and spoken to Jacqueline or possibly Emily, then I've got to ask you, what are you waiting for? Because I've told you already that they carry over 75 brands of fabrics, Kravit, JF, Allendale, Avant-Garde, all the good stuff. You're going to get the exact same designer trade discount that you would get if you went to them direct. But the benefit is that they're all under one roof. So when you actually go look at fabric, you have all of the different fabric lines in one place for you to check them out. And when you're ordering the fabrics, you just have to send one PO. It really doesn't get much better than that. They also have a ton of wallpaper books. And when I go in there, I basically just tell them the vibe I'm after. And often Emily just kind of goes to various places, pulls out some books for me, and we're off to the races. They have over 5,000, that's right, 5,000 square feet of showroom and it's filled with custom furniture line. They've got bedding, linens, towels, so much stuff. It's insane. It's amazing. And the best part is they just recently opened their workroom. I already got some drapes up in my home, which I absolutely adore. They do drapery, pillows, custom cushions, I'm telling you, whatever you need, they're going to do it. To learn more, go to ultraluxlinens.com or find them on Instagram, slide into their DMs. And of course, if you want to check them out in person, you're going to go to the Toronto International Design Center, second floor, whatever you do, make sure you tell them that Michelle sent you. But a lot of people are telling us to ask for the referral and I've just not been able to bring myself to do it. Right. And so here's the thing. And I think this is really an important piece. Most people will always ask me, they're like, well, who does your methodology work for? And I always say, if you're uncomfortable asking, then it, then you should be open to another option, yes. right? I mean, there's yeah. still work involved and we'll talk about what the five steps look like and we can mm-hmm. dig into all of that. So there's still work involved. But at the end of the day, it really has to be something that is whatever you're going to say yes to needs to be authentic to who you are. Mm-hmm. And I find the more of a expert we need to be seen as by our clients. So think interior designers and CPAs and attorneys and home builders and um, financial advisors and business coaches, like think those kind of industries, like you're thinking about like, if I'm going to hire you, it's because of your expertise. It's because you're an expert. It's because you can do something I can't do. You are the ultimate resource. The last thing that we can do or that we need to be doing is then worrying about how they're judging us and questioning us when we are all awkward and uncomfortable asking them for referral because it is effectively asking for business. That's why when you look at the sales training out there about asking for referrals, it is always followed with, you're going to ask for referrals. Here's when you're going to ask. Here's the scripts you're going to use to ask. Okay, now let's talk about why you won't ask and what's wrong with you and why you need to get over your own head trash that you have issues around asking. Like right. it's always like, here's what we're going to teach you. And then, oh, we know you don't want to do it, but now we're going to tell you what's wrong with you 
because yeah. you won't do it. And I think when that's the response to something you're being taught from a, and in this case, from a sales training perspective, being taught to ask and your visceral response to that is your gut screaming, no, that doesn't fit who I am as a person. It doesn't fit yeah. my industry. It doesn't fit how I want to be seen by my clients. Why is the answer get over yourself? Yeah. Like that's when we've been listening to something wrong. And what I find when I talk about referrals with folks, I'm like, and people always like, but then why is that the only answer? Why has the asking for referrals and the paying for referrals and the having to be overly promotional and gimmicky to get referrals? Why have those been the only three main ways that we have been taught to generate referrals? And I always explain it as it's, it comes down to how for decades, most people, most sales trainers, and how sales just works in general, most people teach the sales strategy. They teach you that you should have prospecting activities within mm -hmm. a part of your sales strategy. That's the prospecting activities. That's the prospecting plan. That's the go to the, to the networking event, the cold calling, the cold emailing, right? The 7 million cups of coffee, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of like your prospecting side. And then they teach you the marketing side. You should have a website. You should have social media. Maybe you get some PR or you attend trade shows or you sponsor events, right? So then you've got this prospecting side and this marketing side. And what they've done for 30, 40, 50 years is they've taken the idea of referrals and they have tried to slam it into prospecting or slam it into marketing using the prospecting and the marketing mentality. And the problem with that is, is because that's not, when you understand the human dynamic and the psychology behind referrals, that's not where they fit. Because the advice then comes, well, if I've got referrals and I'm trying to teach people how to get more referrals, then I've got to make it part of their prospecting strategy. Well, prospecting thinks short-term, closest to the money. How close can I get you to someone who'll say yes? That's why they tell you to cold call, right? Or go out and network. Okay, so then the closest way to get to a referral is just ask for them or pay for them. So that's been the advice. Or if it's been on the marketing side, okay, we're going to make referrals part of the marketing plan. Well, then how do we do marketing? It is all about messaging and stuff. Well, referrals very quickly can become gimmicky and over-promotional. It's like putting in your signature line, the greatest compliment you can give me is a referral. It's mm -hmm. very gimmicky and it's yeah. very marketing-based, right? Yeah. So we take referrals, this thing that doesn't fit, right, in prospecting and marketing, but we give you tactics and tools and strategies and advice to put it into prospecting or to put it into marketing. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it does need to be, referrals should absolutely be a part of your sales strategy, but it's separate from prospecting and marketing. So you don't need a two-legged stool with your sales strategy. You need a three-legged stool. And the other third leg is referrals. Love it. So what do we need to be doing? What are, you said there's five steps? Yes. Okay. So here's the thing. So when I left my corporate America job, became certified as a productivity and productivity and business coach, I literally created these five steps, not realizing that I was mm. creating it in the moment. Yep. Okay. So yeah, like I said, sure. sheer, ne right, sheer necessity, grace of God, like needed to ha not have a second business failure and needed this coaching practice to be successful. In yeah. my first year, I generated over a hundred referrals, 112 to be exact referrals without asking for them and have done that every year since in my business, over a hundred referrals. And I realized as I was growing really fast, I happened to be coaching small business owners and solopreneurs. I actually worked with a few interior designers when I was doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, home builders, but I also had you know financial advisors and bookkeepers and had all kinds of small business owners. They were watching my coaching practice grow. They were witnessing, because it was happening to them, my schedule getting tighter, my um, willingness to travel to see them 
shrinking and now they had to come to me or they had to do phone-based. My demand obviously was going up. My supply was going down and I was able to raise my rates. And so they started asking me, they're like, what are you doing? Like, you've barely been doing this a year. What are you doing to be able to grow so fast? And I was like, Mm -hmm. well, it's awesome. I just have all these referrals coming in. And so it's allowing me to adjust what my business looks like. Mm -hmm. And then they started saying, great. I love what you've been coaching me on productivity and business, but I want to learn that. And I was like, pretty cool. Right. I was like, okay. And so as I started talking to it through with my first couple of clients, like when we started actually talking through it and working through it, I realized as I was teaching it to them, I was building the curriculum of how I would eventually teach it to everybody else. I didn't realize 100% that these steps were steps I did over and over again. I just did them, right? And then as you teach it, you're like, oh, look at that. Or like, I'd be talking with a business owner and he'd be like, I don't get it. I'd be like, oh, he needs a visual to be able to understand this. So I created a visual, right? Like it's funny because all these pieces are still in the program. But as I started doing it with them, I realized this is a system and I can teach it. And then I did it with somebody who could not have been more opposite from me. And so, you know, here I am a business and productivity coach. I'm an extrovert on the scale of extroversion. I'm a, like a high eye on the disc assessment, right? Like love me some people. I, I actually do enjoy networking and being out. I mean, not all the time. Right. Yeah. But like, and then I taught it to somebody. It was one of the handful of first couple of people I taught it to who was an attorney in personal injury law and was a huge introvert. Like, awesome. She's amazing. I mean, you know, I'm not saying because you're an introvert. It's like, you don't have a personality. She's incredible. She just like, if you tell me I have to go network space, yeah. she literally said, I'm gonna pull out my fingernails. Yeah. And I was like, and then you're going to fire me because I'm going to teach yeah. you to do something you don't want to do. So we, and if we, yeah, if, if something is on the to-do list, that's something we don't want to do. Well, guess what? We're we just, just not do going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't actually matter sometimes how good it is for us. Yeah. Like for me, dropping my Starbucks habit, still, still there 20, yeah. 20 years later. Right. Like, yeah. so the idea from that is, is I walked Amanda through my process and watched somebody in a completely different industry with a completely different personality, put it into practice and then have amazing success with it. And then watched all my other clients early on have success with it. I was like, this is actually something more people need to know. So like Amanda went from one referral source. It was an internal referral source, a partner in her firm that was on the criminal side while she was on the civil side and one referral source and six or seven referrals a year. And that was how she was, and she's the breadwinner and how she was attempting to you know, build her practice and take care of her family. Mm-hmm. And so she went from six or seven referrals And then by the end of our first four to five months together, she had gone to 12 referrals. And then in her first year, she had gone to 27 referrals. And then now she still follows the program. And five years later, she was at 40 referrals. Now, here's the thing. Lots of us need more than 40 referrals. But for Amanda's practice, she can only handle about 12 cases a year. And just so so I'm clear, when you're referencing referrals, like I assume like are the, when you are saying a number of referrals per year, are you talking closed referrals or is it just like, of course, there's like a conversion rate of the referrals, but the point is like, that's the sales after, but. Yeah, you know. so absolutely. It is the number of referrals received. That's the number we okay. count, but there is absolutely a close ratio that we look at. And my yeah. goal is to get all of my students to above an 80% close ratio. There's actually language and scripts and things that I teach to help you close referrals. If you're not closing the majority of them, we won't close all of them though. No, I mean, yeah. 
Some people do, but they're like the unicorn, right? And I feel like if you are, then you need to be upping your rates or something because something is amiss. Something, yeah, something very well could be a mess. Absolutely. And so for Amanda, then she was like, she literally overnight was able, well, not technically overnight, right? Yeah. But she was literally over in a year to be able to change her practice. She always wanted to have another attorney in the firm that was on the civil side with her. Well, she could hire that person because now she had all these referrals and she was turning enough of these into yes cases that she was picking and choosing when she worked. And it, and she had said, and I love this, she had said it literally, she's like, not only did it save her practice, but it literally changed her life because all of a sudden she was like, I can do this. Like just, just because I'm an introvert, right. Doesn't mean I can't develop these most amazing relationships like Stacy teaches. And it has nothing to do with having a personality like Stacy, the exact opposite person for me was able to have massive success, which I mm-hmm. found amazing. And then lots of people started having that type of success. And that's when I kind of was like, okay, Let's create a system around this. And then in 2015, we introduced, so I used to do this one-on-one and in workshops. And then the end of 15, really at the beginning of 16, we introduced the online version of this so that I could help more people. And now we're in eight different countries. We've got students in eight different countries all around the world doing this and in lots of different industries. But the one thing they all have in common is that they want to be seen as the expert in their space to their client not the always hustling salesperson. So they're looking for a way to grow their business in a way that feels comfortable for them. Absolutely. I mean, this sounds like magic to me. (laughs) But it's not. So before anybody else else says, it sounds like magic, let's talk about these five steps. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Because I want people to understand it's not magic. There is a secret sauce, which we will talk about when we get to step four, but there's no magic. Um, But the idea here is, is that there is work involved. So let me just go ahead and say- Well, I think, yeah, of course. (laughs) I wouldn't expect no work. Most people say, I wouldn't expect any work. And then you tell them what the work is. They're like, yeah, well, do I want to? And that is literally a question you're going to have to answer. Here's the thing. If you're in quarantine right now and you're locked up and not much is happening, you got time. Oh, for sure. Now right? it's the time to start tightening, tightening things up. Yes. And that's what I tell folks is, is lots of people, like I've been in my growth by referrals, Facebook group for my students in there talking about at this moment, what should you be doing for your referral sources? Right. And like adjusting our plans and things like that based on what we're going from going through. But I'm like, at no point do you lean back. Yeah. At, at no point do you stop what you're doing because you need to be helping these folks. But let's talk about what these five steps look like. Please, I'm going to yeah. start from a place of making a few assumptions about people's okay. businesses. So let's okay. can we first just kind of get those out of the way. The assumption number one is I'm assuming you do great work. Yeah. I'm assuming <laughs> you're referable. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's actually important. Like, I don't AKA mess- like great service, yes. clients happy. Like this isn't going to work if they're... Like you rip me off. I don't even like right. what you've done. Okay. Yes. So this is the, you need to be referable. You need to be the type of business that people want to talk about. Now, lots of people are like, Eek, what if I'm not? I'm like, okay, another conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you podcast, need to work on that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can have me back on the podcast and we can talk about sticky client experiences that creates that buzz, that creates those happy clients that will get you to a place where you are referable. But I'm going to make an assumption for I'm going to teach today that you are ultimately you are referable, right? I'm also going to make the assumption that you have received some referrals. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's just a handful or if it's a couple of dozen, but over the lifetime that you've been in business, you have been 
referred. And yeah. that's important too, because of how I teach the steps of where we start from. Now, here's the thing. If you're listening to me and you're thinking, oh wait, but I'm in my first year and I haven't been referred or heck, I'm seven years in and haven't been referred that I know of. I still want you to go through these steps, but there is a way to take your existing clients and the contacts that you know and turn them into referral sources. But again, another conversation for another yeah. day. And, um, and what's great too is like most designers you talk to, if you ask about where their clients come from, the majority of the time they'll tell you referrals. So it's really great. that That's one of the assumptions because I think that's going to be a very fair assumption for a lot of the people, of course, if they're not brand new, will be in as well. So that's great. Yeah, there's very few designers that I've ever had go through my program or work with me where they didn't, where we weren't starting with some referral sources. Yeah. I mean, they may also be getting, you know, leads and clients or prospects into their business through hows, right, or through some networking, but they also always, almost always have referral yeah. sources as well. But I do say that as a disclaimer, that where I'm going to start with my steps is that understanding that you probably, not only are you referable, you've received some referrals. Mm-hmm. Again, I can help you with those, those first two issues if you're like, eek, don't go past go, I need to go back, but not, not on this podcast, not on this episode nope. at least. <laughs> So, so those are kind of like the two disclaimers I kind of like to, or two assumptions I'm making about your business, the two disclaimers I kind of like to always put out there. And then the other one is, I just want you to understand where, whereas what I'm going to teach you is work. All of my students come back and say, well, I'd rather do this than attend 15 networking events every week. I'd rather do this and spend a whole bunch of money on advertising. So it is going to be the fun stuff, but the stuff is still work. Yep. So don't say I didn't warn you. <laughs> but here's the other thing. I also teach people that once you've learned my process, the crazy thing about the work that's involved, you can still do it in under 20 hours a year. Oh, that's glorious. So it's not a crazy ton of work, but when it's no. time to do some work, I need you to do the work. And I'll explain what that looks like as we go through the steps. So let's start with step one, obviously, at the beginning. So here's this step is usually the biggest step for people to do, but I, it, it comes with a promise and a guarantee from me. And that is if you do this step correctly and you don't cut corners right? And you don't do it and you, you go the full distance that I need you to go with this step. You never do it again. It is a one and done. I only have to do step one once if I do it correctly. So how step one works is it's really, really important before we decide how are we going to get more referrals, we have to start from understanding, well, who gives us referrals now? So we need to identify who are our referral sources. We need to know who they are. And all humans have a first and a last name. And so when you say who, you mean like the type? Like if I had to no, turn them? the people themselves. Okay. So here's how we do this. So people are like, some people are like, okay, great. Yeah, I know who my referral sources are. And mm-hmm. then we use what I call anecdotal evidence. And we just kind of remember who's referred us recently. But that's not the data I'm interested in. The data I'm interested in is you going back two, three, four years in your business, pulling your list of clients, And either because you've tracked this information in a CRM, a client relationship management tool, you've tracked this in a CRM, or you're going to recreate it, which I'll tell you how to do in just a minute. You're going to look back at your list of clients and you're going to figure out where they came from. Did you meet them at a networking event? Did they come through house? Were they a lead through a Facebook ad? Were they referred to you by your client, Sally Sue, right? Were they, um, you know, did you happen to have a conversation with them in the grocery store? Like, however that client first learned about you, did they see the article spread that you had done on you in the local magazine? However they learned about you is called the source. 
Within all of our sources, of course, we have referral sources, but referral sources are always human. Mm -hmm. So your referral sources always have a first and a last name. So if I'm sitting down and I'm looking back, okay, let's, so it's, it's kind of early on right now in 2020. So let's just look at 2019 and go backwards from there, right? Just for sake of this example. But if I'm looking at all the clients I brought in in 2019 and I'm like, okay, so I brought in Sam. Now, where did Sam come from? Right. So you're creating this list of your clients. And if you have this in a CRM, it makes it easier. It does, but only if you've tracked it, but if not, you're going to have to recreate the list, but sometimes it's a process we call walk down memory lane. So it's not a fun process necessarily all the time, but you literally have to look back and see if you can remember where these people came from if you didn't track it. But here's some places to go looking to make it easier. So let's say you pulled your list of clients, you went back three years and you instantly just know looking at some, like I remember I met them at a networking event or I remember they were referred to me by so-and-so. And And, you know, so some people you'll just remember, but you'll have holes. And so I tell folks, look back in your calendar, maybe in the calendar invite you had for the very first time you met with them or spoke with them on the phone. Maybe you made some notes in the calendar invite that said where they came from or pull out their folder. If their client folder has notes in it from the very first conversation you ever had with them, maybe you happen to jot down where they heard about you or ask them. Tell them you're updating your records and you just would curious if they remember how they heard about you and how they came to know who you are and see if you can get that information from them. Okay. And when you say like, um, you know, okay, I know like I track my referrals. Sometimes a referral for me is um, oddly like a person I've actually never worked with. Like I got referred in a Facebook group for somebody who maybe follows me on Instagram or maybe it was somehow a realtor. Like sometimes I don't even know, but it's technically a referral. Like, is it important to identify whether a ref- like, does that count the same as a referral, but just a different type of referral? So that is such a great question. Okay, so yes, there are actually four types of referral sources. Okay. So the first type of referral source is going to be your clients. Okay. That's the people, that's the one everyone's like, got it. Like, that's the one we understand, right? Yeah. The second type of referral sources are going to be your centers of influence, which are actually not clients, but they are people in your network that you know, and they know you, right? So these are people you know, people who know you, they know what you do. They know you're an interior designer. They are not an interior designer. So there's no competitive overlap, right? They may be working at a bank, right? Or maybe they're a um, homeowner. I mean, sorry, a a home builder who sends clients to you, right? So whatever it is, because they're not a client, they fall into this category called a center of influence. Now, when we focus on our centers of influence, not everybody's going to refer you. It's going to be a small subset of who actually refers you, but the category is center of influence. Okay. And so when we look at our centers of influence, typically it's people who know what we do, but don't do what we do, but also come across our ideal client. Mm -hmm. So they actually have the uh, the potential and the opportunity to refer us. So that's our clients and those are our centers of influence. Then if you were like writing this out on a piece of paper and you wrote number one clients, which I totally am. (laughs) Awesome. So number one clients, and then you go below it, you put number two centers of influence. Now draw a line. Okay. And below that, write number three. Yep. And then you're going to put friends or family. Yep. So friends and family can absolutely refer you. Sometimes you have friend, family members and friends who refer you consistently. They just well, do. we like them, don't we? We love them. I don't really have a lot of those. So I'm going to need to have a stern talking to with, with my <laughs> friends and family. Well, but you can't ask them. I know, so I'm joking. I'm going to need to teach you a different way. Exactly. You're going to teach me the right way. Right. So, but here's the thing. Lots of people think 
friends and family refer them, but they actually don't. And that's why they're below the line. It's actually not a category I really want you focused on. So when we get to step three and I start talking about the plan I want you to build to get more referrals from your referral sources, we're going to talk about one and two. We're going to talk about clients and centers of influence. Then we have the two categories below the line, which are our friends and family, which are great if they give you referrals, right? So like I was working um, with a mortgage broker and he was like, so I have an aunt who is a realtor and I get a lot of referrals from her. I'm like, yeah, so she's a consistent family member who is referring you because she has opportunity. So I would actually take the aunt and move her up to the center of influence level mm-hmm. because of her business. But if your mom, who loves you so much, refers you her neighbor to renovate the kitchen, but your mom doesn't really know anybody else who may need interior design in the future, then it's just the thank you, mom, for referring me that one time. That's awesome. But you stay below the line. Totally. Slash, truth be told, sometimes specific, look, I don't think they're going to listen to this, but some friends or family, <laughs> the, the people they're referring are not your ideal audience. And they- right. Our, our ideal client and they just really don't have the money to hire you anyway. So it's kind of like womp womp. Right. Well, and because let's keep in mind, most of our clients, because our clients, well, not most, all of our clients know exactly what it's like to work with you and exactly what it costs. Yeah. Your center of influence, nice because referral. they're in the business world for the most part, they get how you probably price your, they may not know your exact pricing, but they understand you're not doing this for free. Yeah. Right. Family and friends, they kind of forget that oh you're like, oh, yeah, this is Michelle's second career. She must not really charge that much. Yeah. Here's right. my and old, uh, yeah, my, my friend who just graduated from college, they need help. Like, no. Anyway, sorry. They cannot, right, they cannot afford you, right? It's like, yeah. They just can't, yeah. And so it's, it's sometimes they get it and sometimes they don't, but that's okay because they're below the line. So when we get referrals from family and friends, that's awesome. We'll yeah. look at it on a case-by-case basis and we'll assume, can we get more from this person? Like, is this, is this neighbor of mine actually crazy connected to all the mom groups in my city? And so I need to move her up to the center of influence, mm-hmm. even if, right, she's never been a client of mine. Like, so you get to make those decisions on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. But family and friends typically refer you in the beginning when you're starting your business because they're trying to see you be successful. Totally. Yeah. And then it kind of wah, wah, kind of kind of stops, right? <laughs> yeah. Because at some point they're like, I mean, Michelle, you need to make it or not. Yeah. Like, I am tired of telling my friends about like, or they just forget, or they see you three years in and now you're successful. And they just because they're not thinking about it like a client would or a COI would, they just stop. So again, you can get referrals from them. You have to decide is this a one-hit wonder? Or is this actually going to be something sustainable? And if it's sustainable, take them out of the friends and family category and move them up to the center of influence category until they become a client. And then you can put them in the client category. Got it. Okay. The fourth group Mm -hmm. are strangers. Oh, oh, and that has totally happened. Yeah. Right. So most people think, well, and because it's what I preach and my philosophy is that referrals only come from relationships. And so they're like, well, then how can a stranger refer me? And I always say it's because sometimes your reputation precedes you and you have a bigger reputation and a buzz factor than you think. I mean, that's why other types of strategies work in the marketplace to generate buzz and awareness of your brand. I mean, that's why we have branding and marketing. And for whatever reason, that person, maybe they talked to someone who said, I know her, she's an amazing designer, but they don't know. They've never seen your work. Maybe they, you answered a question yeah. on some podcast or you answered a question in some article that showed your work and they just fell in love with it and they just decided you're the best designer since sliced bread. 
Exactly. So for whatever totally. reason, yeah. that stranger to you, because by definition, they are a stranger to you. You don't know who they are. They really like you. So they know, they may not know you, but they like and trust you to the point that they're comfortable telling somebody, oh, I've heard great things about Michelle. You should go check her out. Right. And so a stranger can refer you. The it happens to me all the time. Yeah. Yeah. The question is at that point, is this somebody that you can connect with so that you can move them up to the center of influence list and develop and create a relationship with them so they can go from oh, being a stranger to a COI? Or is it such an obtuse referral and the person can't remember the stranger's name and you don't know who it is and so you just got to let it be? Oh, okay. You just, mental note, I, a random realtor, which I, I don't know, referred me. I should reach out to that realtor, thank them, and maybe... Yes. Duh, I should have Yes. Thought. So here's the thing. You want to reach out and you want to thank them. And actually, I'm, that's what step two of my process is. So we'll get back to that in just a second. But you're going to reach out and you're going to thank her. And you're going to do it in a handwritten thank you note. And in that handwritten thank you note, you're going to remind her who she referred to you by using the mm-hmm. prospect's name. So thank yeah. you for referring so-and-so to me, right? And then you're going to ask, like, hey, I would love, I really appreciate you doing this. That's awesome. I'd love to know how you heard about me, right? And I'd love to meet you for coffee. Slash, be careful if you ask in case somehow you should know how you know each other because I'm a little scared I should know this person. Okay, okay fair, I have a, fair enough. I have, a, <laughs> I have a question though. Do you send the handwritten thank you for the referral if the client, if the referred person never becomes a client or they were not an ideal client? Oh my God, with? I love this question. Yes. Well, I don't want to. Okay. You, so yes. Here's the thing. The answer was yes. Yes. The answer is okay. yes. You but send more. it regardless of outcome. Okay. Now what I teach my students inside my growth by referrals program is not every referral source is going to give you the ideal client every single time. Okay. And if they consistently give you good clients and then one bad or one or two mm-hmm. bad, don't worry about it. Yeah. But if they consistently give you not some great ones, not ideal clients, then there is languaging that I teach that helps you walk them through the fact that they're not really sending you ideal clients, right? It's how we change the quality of the referrals we are receiving, but we don't ever do it after one bad referral, after one bad non, you know, ideal, that's not an ideal client that's been referred to you. We let it kind of lie, right? And because yet we haven't created the habit in them to give us another one. So when they get the habit of referring us and they refer us a second or a third, and now none of them I can help, then it's time for a conversation. But that's the, the, ultimately here, but the point before that piece is we reward for their action, not the outcome, which they can't control. Right. So the referral source, the only thing they can do is send people to you right now. Of course, you can try to get them to understand who we help and right. And who, you know, that kind of idea of what our ideal client looks like. But before we even get there, what we want to make sure we're doing is building the habit in them of referring us and feeling good about it because we take care of them for referring us regardless if that person becomes a client or not. I love it. And are you suggesting then that let's say one person keeps referring, I send them a thank you letter card each time, obviously not regurgitating the exact same thing, but is that what you're suggesting though? It's really funny. What? <laughs> it's true. Do not regurgitate the same message. But <laughs> you're I, like, well, this feels like a template. <laughs> right. So it's funny because I give templates in my program and yeah. I give templates of how to change it up. Yeah. 
and I literally have people who are like, can you just give us some more templates? And I'm like, <laughs> seriously? Well, good for you. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I know, but like, and so here's the thing. Yes. I want you to write a different card. Really? You know how the card needs to be different. It's the opening line. Okay. Change your opening line. Right. And then you're like, it's so if your first line is typically in your very first thank you card, thank you so much, Michelle, for referring Sam to me. Right. But I would use Sam's first and last name. Right. So Michelle, thank you so much for referring Sam to me. Like in the second card, I could be like, Hey, here I am again. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for referring Sarah to me. Yeah. Right. So it's just changing that first line um, that that really helps and kind of just shifting the language. Um, But it is funny that people, people, they do like people ask that question. They're like, and I give a bunch of templates for lots of different scripts and what we write and what we say and all that kind of Mm -hmm. good stuff. It's called planting seeds, but um, planting referral seeds. But it's interesting because people, they ask that question. They're like, you know, am I writing the exact same card? I'm like, no, because there's a human on the other end receiving that card. And we need to be authentic. authentic. Yeah, we're like on the same page right now. Um, But I guess the point being, yes, yes, continue to send that card. Um, Okay, cool. I mean, here's the other thing. It is a handwritten card. Yeah. By you. Uh Uh-huh. Not by your assistant or a child, right? A grown child or anybody else, right? (laughs) Not by your partner in your company, not by, if it's, I mean, if you had a partner, that's different, but not by an employee, it's written by you. And for the person sitting there thinking, but I have the worst handwriting. First of all, never met an interior designer with bad handwriting. You guys have the best. Clearly met me. Yeah. Okay. Well, (laughs) most of you have like this amazing handwriting and it makes me feel bad about my own handwriting when I see yours. So (laughs) the idea here is, is that it doesn't, like people always say, but what if my handwriting's bad? And I'm like, okay, when you get to know me, you know, my answer is, I don't care. Yeah. So you got bad bad handwriting. That's okay. Yeah. You have to write it. So what I tell folks is if you have bad handwriting, print and write slower yeah. because your handwriting will get cleaner, clearer and cleaner if you're writing slower and you're printing. Very Don't yeah, like, to do the cursive stuff. Yeah. So I love, that's it. My other I love thing. it so much. I'm just like rethinking so many moments when I should have like such obvious moments right now. Another one I just want to throw out there for the um, people listening is uh, another center of influence, I assume... I get, I get referrals from designers as well who, you know, maybe are further ahead. Like I've obviously met a lot of designers based on the, from the podcast because I talk to so many designers. And so sometimes a designer who's like much further along in their business, um, they don't maybe do decorating um, or they can't take on a project. I will get referrals from them too. Granted, it doesn't... I, I have to give a shout out to Andrea because Andrea McQueen, because hers actually did. But... Um, that's that's another big one as well. So I assume that goes into center of influence. Yes, absolutely. So what I have found in the interior design space, depending on how, depending on the designers you know and, and the decorators you know and the community you guys have built from a local perspective, and more in particular than more of a national perspective, yeah. is that you sometimes in those industries you guys are more willing to refer to each other, and it's more of a mindset of abundance than a mindset of scarcity. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. Attorneys have the same one. So attorneys, when I work with attorneys as well, just like interior designers, most of the time when we're looking at who their referral sources are, they'll have clients, yes, but they'll also have centers of influence that are other attorneys, or in your case, other interior designers. Yeah. Now, and- if, if you're going to do something where maybe you want to have like a big event for all your clients and you want to include your referral sources, which we can talk about that when we get to step three, it's not, you don't need to, but some people like to do events. So if they had like a client appreciation event. My, my 
recommendation is always we'll invite your referral sources to it, but you don't have to invite other designers who are technically yeah, your competition. Yeah. You are uncomfortable doing that in a space where all your clients are hanging around. Right. So that's, that's the only place where I'm, where I say maybe pull back. Yeah. Depending on who's on your list, but that's why step one is so stinking important because we need to identify who are our referral sources. And if you've got some, or you've got dozens or a dozen or a couple of dozen, or even just five or six, I've got something to work with, right? So if you've got a handful of referral sources or more, then we've got something to work with. So once we've identified them in step one, step two is exactly what we were talking about, the thank you note. I always find that people people always say step two doesn't feel like it fits because it's the idea that you'll have an immediate follow-up process to thank for every referral received. And that immediate follow-up process to thank for those referrals is that handwritten note we were just talking about, uh-huh. and, right? Whether your handwriting's bad, you have to write it and you write it regardless of outcome <laughs> because you're actually going to send it within 24, hopefully within 24 to 48 hours. So you won't even know the outcome. More than likely, you wouldn't have even talk to the oh, person yet. Oh, right. right. So you're sending an immediate, when I say the step two is the immediate follow-up process to thank for that referral. Here's why we do this. Because what's coming up in step three is the plan that we build throughout that we're going to follow throughout the year that's going to allow us to take care of our referral sources. And I'll explain what that, what that looks like in just a second. But the idea here is, is that if you're going to create this plan to take care of your referral sources, why should they send you another referral, whether you have a plan or not, if you can't thank them for the referral they just yeah, sent you? Yeah. So that thanking process, and I teach people, everything I teach comes from a place of you being genuine you being authentic, and you actually legitimately care about your referral sources. If you are dead inside, (laughs) this is not for you, right? Uh, Yeah. Super important. People are like, that kind of goes without saying. (laughs) Yeah, you should have added that to your assumption. I'm assuming that you are not dead inside. (laughs) Add a new assumption, yeah. (laughs) And here's my third assumption for all of you who are dead inside. Stop listening right now. Yeah. But if, you, but if we actually care about our, so think about that. I mean, think about that realtor who referred you. Aren't you appreciative of her or him? Absolutely. Right. Because they make your life easier. Yeah. They drop a prospect, right? They connect you with a prospect who has a need right into your lap. Yeah. There's a reason why referred prospects are quicker to close, easier to close, and less price sensitive because they show up transferring the trust from the referral source that has the trust they have in you, the prospect shows up with that with them because it's been transferred to them as well. So they show up with this trust in you, even though they don't know you. And they know they have a problem and a need. They're like, yeah, I need to renovate my kitchen. Or yes, I need to, to have someone help me through, figure out, you know, my daughter's room or what, you know, there's so many different things. Like they also have a need. So when that prospect shows up and they've been connected to you and they have a need identified, the referral source has done a lot of the work for you and they make Mm -hmm. your life easier. So you should care about them. So the fact that you should spend some time identifying them and then you should spend some time making sure that every time you receive a referral, you stop for the two minutes it's going to take you, pull out a pen and a note card and write a thank you note and get it into the mail. That's important as well too. But that leads us into step three. Okay, before we move to step three, one more question. Yes. You know how like we're maybe all a little bit late to the game right now and I'm identifying my previous referral sources. Some time has passed. 
is it too late to send a card now or is it better late than never situation? Yeah. So that's such a good question. And it's, you know, I always tell everyone when they start my program, we do this process called the kickoff card. So the very first card we send has to acknowledge if we've done that, if we haven't been great about thanking people in the past, it's not a complicated card, but if we're going to start building a plan to take care of them, these touch points, what I'm about to teach you in step three, these, this outreach to our referral sources, it can't feel like it's coming out of left field. So we kind of just have to own the fact that, Hey, maybe you did give me referrals and I didn't really thank you for them. Or maybe I've always thanked you for them. Right. But I just kind of want to like, without you knowing it, letting you know that I plan to take better care of you moving forward. Right. And so it's, it's not a complicated step, but it's definitely one I tell everybody you have to kind of start with. Um, and we call it the kickoff inside the program, but it really is just kind of that moment where you're also, even though the, the card is going to your referral sources and it has some language in it specific for them, it's your moment of saying, I'm committed yeah. to following this process through. And if you know you haven't thanked people like you should have, you just mm-hmm. need to acknowledge it and then move on. Okay. I love it. And I'm sorry, one more question as well. So for referral sources that are maybe more like strangers, for example, right? Like a realtor, you know, in theory, I don't have an address, but I could Google potentially their brokerage address, but I'm, I'm really assuming it's going to make it to that person. Is there a time where maybe an email that feels more direct because I know it's their direct email and I know they're going to get it versus hoping that, it, you know, because I don't know this. Oh, wait, strangers are below the fold, but no, if it's a realtor, they're being moved above the fold. But yeah. Okay. So my question remains, um, what's your hot take on that? Yeah. So here's the thing. The reality of it is, is you're going to know if it doesn't get to them because Because it's going to come back to you. But in theory, could it not make it to the brokerage, but never like somebody else picks up the mail and it's their assistant that goes through their mail and they're like, whatever. So the very, okay. So, okay. Yes, that absolutely probably could happen. Most of the time assistants pass that information on. Okay. Right. They pass handwritten notes, just like bills get yeah. passed, just like invoices get passed on. So very, absolutely, especially if it's in an envelope, you know what the problem is? I'm thinking of sending like a postcard that I have, but maybe it's better that it's in an envelope like so, type thing. Yes. I'm going to encourage you to put it into a, like grab note cards. I don't care if it has, this is, so I'm really particular about how we take care of our referral sources, which means our logo doesn't go on the things we do for our referral sources, except, except for your thank you card. I am totally fine with your logo being on the front of a card, but I want it to be a card that you hand write in, write into an envelope, envelope, slap a stamp on it and Mm -hmm. mail it because I know it's going to get, I know it's going to get acknowledged. Now you're right. Is there a chance that maybe one of the cards you send out over the many, many cards you'll send out doing this process doesn't make it to the right person? You're absolutely right. There is a chance. Um, The other thing to consider is if you're not sure and you want to make sure you have their address, address right, then just ask. Like, hey, I want to send you something, but I okay. wanted to make sure I have your address right. Trust me. Now their yeah. interest is peaked. Now they're yeah. paying attention to the mailbox. <laughs> okay. Right? They're like, it. oh, it's not going to be a bill, right? Or an invoice. It's going to be something nice. And then people always ask sometimes the question, should I be sending it to their home or to their work address? I always say it's whatever address you have that you know is theirs is perfect. Mm-hmm. But I actually want these going to the business address because if it's going to a realtor, I want all the other realtors to see it. Got it. Okay. It's a thank you card you send and it goes up on their cork board because most of us 
keep our thank you cards. We put them on our desk. We put them on a cork board, right? That's the other reason why we send a handwritten thank you note. It's not just to tell the referral source, you mean enough to me that I'm going to take time to write this card to you and send it to you. Because I also know that if you end up keeping it and it goes on your desk or just in a stack of cards or it goes up on your bulletin board or something like that, I also know when the time comes for you to take it down and quite possibly get rid of it or stick it into a box with all your other thank you notes, you're going to read it one more time. Mm, So if you're pulling it off your desk 60 days from now, then I know you're going to see it one more time 60 days from now as an impression from me. So that's why the handwritten thank you note matters so much. And that's why, whereas I tell people, it's not that you can't send an email thank you because I know that's an immediate factor that people need. You have to also send the handwritten thank you note. Okay. Love it. Yes. Okay. So as we're talking about step three, here's the idea. We know our referral sources. We got who they are. We're, we're on board with that. We've done the data and the data doesn't lie. What you will typically figure out when you're going through who your referral sources are, you may be surprised about who's not on the list because you may tell yourself, well, I spent a ton of time right, going to grab a glass of wine at least once a month with Maureen. And I just know we talk about business all the time and all the people she's sending to me. I just know she's going to be on the list. And then she's not because all she's been doing is giving you word of mouth buzz, telling you about people she's telling about, but not actually connecting you with anyone that she's actually sent to you. So you'll be surprised by who you think is supposed to be on the list, but isn't. Mm -hmm. And then the other one, which I actually think is worse, you're going to recognize names on your list and be like, oh my gosh, I haven't talked to that person in nine months. And they refer me pretty consistently. Even Mm -hmm. if consistently is once a year for you, right? It's one client you didn't have to go find. And so you're going to be like, oh boy, haven't seen them in nine months. Maybe I should just be a little bit more you know, caring towards them. Right. So when you identify your referral sources, you're going to think some things, like you're going to get some feels, like it's going to be there from that perspective. And you'll know I need more or I've got plenty, right? You'll also assess that. Now you also know when I get a, when I get a um, referral, I know exactly what to do because Stacy taught me. I'm going to pull out a thank you note card. If I have to go buy them, maybe you can't go buy them right now at the grocery store, but at some point in the future, you'll be able to, you can print your own. Yeah. Right. I actually have um, one of my favorite thank you cards at the very front of it says, keep calm and referral on. Oh, that's cute. You actually can grab it from my website. Love it. There so you go. I'll give you the link if you can put it in the show notes. For sure. Yeah. Cause I don't want to say it off the top of my head and then get it wrong, but like yeah. you can go grab that design and then send it to Vista prints or some cloud-based printer or take it to your local printer and turn it into a card. Everything else can be blank. You can put your name or your logo on the back of it, but the yeah. inside should just be blank. So, um, but anyways, so you've got your thank you cards. Okay. Now we're talking about step three. What do you do for your referral sources? in between receiving referrals when you're writing that thank you note? Mm-hmm. How do you stay top of mind? How do you rise above the hundreds and hundreds or maybe thousands of designers that are in your market, right, to your referral sources so they don't forget about you, so they know how much you care about them? How do you stay memorable and meaningful? How do you stay top of mind? How do you gently remind them about referrals without ever asking for those referrals or being gimmicky or promotional? What do you do? Well, what we do is step three, and that is where we create a one-year plan mm-hmm. of outreach, which we call, my students would know that we call it touch points, but it's just outreach to our referral sources on a one-year basis. Here's the thing. It is not your e-newsletter. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I said, well, look at you, gold star. Right? But I'm not telling you to get rid of your newsletter. Your newsletter is part of your marketing or prospecting strategy, so keep it. It's just not part of your referral strategy. So you can't count it 
right. as the, as an outreach or a touch point that you're going to do with your referral sources. It's also not your CRM reminding you every 62 days, hey, you haven't talked to this person, so send them a text to see how they're doing. You do the mm. same thing over and over again, and it just becomes noise in my life. Yeah. So as a referral source, I'm not paying attention to it because it's not a pattern interrupt. It's not getting my attention. That's just the newsletter I get from Michelle. I'm not saying you do that. I'm just saying using your name. As <laughs> right? That's cool. Yeah. Right. It's just the newsletter that I get. Oh, it's just, oh, they always reach out every couple of months. I've recognized now the pattern. They kind of reach out every couple of months and how, ask, ask how things are going, right? Like you kind of recognize the pattern and it stops feeling genuine when we're in the referral space. And so keep those things for prospecting and marketing. Good, good. On the referral space, though, it can't be your automated newsletter because that's more noise in my life, even if I enjoy reading it, right? And it can't be anything else that we do that doesn't have a sense of being memorable and meaningful behind it. Mm -hmm. So what I'm talking about is touch points that you're going to do. It's not monthly. That's the thing I love most about this. And your range of touch points is going to fall somewhere between four and eight. Okay. Now, most people, depending on what they do, they're a little bit on the higher side. Six to eight is where most of my students fall. But those six to eight touch points are going to be really memorable and meaningful. Mm-hmm. So let me give you an example. Yes, please. Okay, I'll give you two. And I'm going to give you one that is a gift because I hesitate to only give that one in a vacuum because then people think, I've got to give gifts. No, please don't hear me say that. I'm just yeah. using this example because I know we can all visualize it in our mind's eye. So gifts are one of many categories of things that you can do for your referral sources. And lots of people have to build this referral plan on a shoestring budget. So gifts, trust me, gifts are not a part of their budget. So for instance, I recognize when I was a business and productivity coach that 80% of my top referral partners or my top referral sources were working parents. So like they owned businesses and they were also parents. Okay, that's not surprising because lots of us are parents, right? But when I looked at my top referral sources, the overwhelming majority were business owners who were also parents. So I, to be memorable and meaningful, I recognized Mother's Day and Father's Day. Oh. Everybody recognizes Thanksgiving and Christmas. I mean, I still do too, but like everybody does it, right? Nobody's expecting to hear from me, the person they refer clients to, or maybe I was also quite possibly their coach, right? On Mother's Day or Father's Day. Now, Mm -hmm. I didn't do this for all my clients because that would have been way too costly. This is separate from your client experience. This is your referral experience. These are the touch points, the outreach you do for the people who refer you, whether they're a client or a COI or not. You're not going to do this for family and friends and strangers because you haven't made the decision to put them on the actual referral source list. Right. Right. So these are for our clients and centers of influence because we have to take a budget into account. It's super important. And so I sent one year for Mother's Day, Wonder Woman water bottles. That's cute. Right? So, but here's the thing. Once you remove the card from the Wonder Woman water bottle, my name, my logo, my phone number, my email address, my website, none of that was on the water bottle. It was truly a gift for my referral source. But Michelle, do you actually think that they ever forgot who gave them that water bottle? Yeah. No, no. Right. like I'm, the answer is no. Yeah. They would they not never forget. forget. <laughs> they never forgot, right? And like yeah. I would see, I would get posts on social media sometimes where it'd be a picture of my referral sources and their daughter. And they'd be like, yep, she commandeered the water bottle, Stacey. I'm going to need another one. <laughs> right? Like, so it was this thing where they didn't forget. And what it did though, is it impacted how they felt about me. Because mm-hmm. in that moment, how they felt about me is Stacey really appreciates me. She sees me. She cares about me. 
and she's thankful for what I do for her. Even if that's not everything they say to themselves, that is the, how we impact their emotions and how they feel about us. And when we take care of somebody, right? Oh, let's flip it. When someone takes care of us, we ultimately want to take care of them. It's like when my father passed away suddenly and unexpectedly in 2018 and all the neighbors came together and, and did meals for us, like one meal a week, you know, or maybe it was two meals a week. I don't remember. Like I remember telling my husband afterwards, we need to throw them all a party. Yeah. Like we need to throw them a party to say thank you so much and what we appreciate. And my husband's like, you do the neighborhood Easter egg hunt and the blow up movie screen parties every summer. They're good. They yeah. did this just to show just you that they care. Just tough time. We don't right. need to add this on our list. <laughs> nobody needs your thank you note, Stacey. Yeah. And nobody needs you to be throwing them a party. Yeah. But that's how you feel. Yeah. Because when someone takes care of you, right, it's all of a sudden not business as usual. It is back to like the human side of life. Yeah. And that is how we are memorable and meaningful. And that is how we stay top of mind. And that is how our referral sources continue because they're getting these four to eight touch points that are memorable and meaningful that keep us top of mind throughout the year. And then next year. Now, I always recognize Mother's Day and Father's Day. Right? I did that for a number of years until my practice shifted. So now I'm, I, I do a little bit different because of my referral sources have shifted. But I look at it from that perspective of I may do something every Mother's Day and Father's Day. I'm not sending the same water bottle every Mother's Day, right? Yeah. So that may have shifted or whatever, but it's the easy thing for them to always be like, that's what they're going to remember about me. And so when we're thinking about this, when we're trying to be memorable and meaningful and top of mind, the ultimate, and I, I always position it this way, the ultimate goal here is to make sure our referral sources are really, really clear on how we feel about them that they make our life easier, they mm-hmm. make business easier, they make life easier, and we are indebted to them, and we love them. Like, yeah. They're incredible. But I'm loving this so much. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm like one. legitimately going to start doing all of this. <laughs> Yay! Good, good, good. But here's the thing. Even though we do this without an agenda, we do need to carve out some space for step number four. Okay. And if step number three is the meat and potatoes of the actual overall strategy that I teach is step three, this plan of outreach that's memorable and meaningful and top of mind for your referral sources is the meat and potatoes. I got to put some special sauce, the secret sauce, the special sauce on that meat and potatoes. So they'll actually taste good, Mm -hmm. which is always funny to me when I use this cooking analogy, because I can't cook. Neither can I, but I like meat and potatoes with gravy. So right. We know the sauce makes that stuff taste better. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So what we have to do is we then also want to use the right language, which we call planting referral seeds. We want to plant the right language that allows them to also, in addition to feeling like we care about them because we do, knowing how much we appreciate them because we do, because we're genuine and authentic, but we also just want to make sure we're kind of staying in their subconsciousness, thinking about us from a referral perspective. So we plant referral seeds. So I don't know if you noticed it, but I actually gave you a referral seed that I planted earlier when I told you what the first line of your thank you note should be when you write a thank you card. Thank you for the referral? Yeah, I'm just totally not going to put you on the spot just in case. (laughs) If you didn't remember. And I think the second time was like, here I am again. Thank you so much for the referral. Right. Thank you for the referral too. And then you inserted the person's name, Mm -hmm. right? That is the easiest and most direct way to plan a referral seat. Now here's the thing. 
There are so many times and places to plant referral seeds. There's a formula to it. There's indirect and there's indirect and direct ways to plant a referral seed. There's a formula to it. There's a balance to it. So you don't sound like all this in this broken, weird record. Yeah. Right? So there's this process to it. There's scripts and things like that to kind of help people get comfortable with it as they create their own language. You can plant referral seeds during this outreach, these touch points to your referral sources. That's what makes it part of the five steps. But referral seeds can be planted during the buyer's journey. Referral sources are used to be planted when you're trying to turn that client into a referral source. Referral seeds are used, right, when you're also, um, when someone's no longer working with you and they're an alumni client. That's Mm -hmm. what I call when someone's no longer working with you. Like there are so many times and places to build out referral seeds. And I always tell folks, that if I ever have anybody who goes to my program and they are just doing basically steps one, two, and three, and they're like, I'm not getting any referrals. I'm always like, tell me about your language. And if it's always just, thanks for being a client, thanks for being a client, client appreciation stuff. I'm like, who are you? What are you doing for your referral sources? And how are you using that right language? A lot of times people will sometimes feel like because some clients refer them, what they do for those clients as referral sources, they need to do it for all their clients, which automatically waters down their language because you can't plant a referral seed for someone who's never referred you. Right. Unless you're doing it in a very specific way during the buyer's journey or during time to turn that person into a referral source. And so then they just get very generic language. I'm like, but you've lost planting referral seeds, which is why we only do this stuff for our referral sources are those we want to refer us. But there's lots of opportunities to plant referral seeds. I mean, that's one of the things I always tell folks, you know how we all have our own superpower? Yeah. Like some people don't know what theirs is, but we all have. God gave all of us a superpower. Mine is language. Mm. Mine is that ability to figure out how to say something so that it has the meaning we want with an impact we're also looking for. Mm-hmm. And so planting referral seeds that's is a how good, I do uh, it. superpower to have. It is. Well, you know what I, what I don't have? Math. Yeah. Well. Which makes my bookkeeper happy because there's someone I need to <laughs> exactly. employ to do that, yeah. right? There's someone I'm paying to do that for me. <laughs> so the idea here is, is the language piece is the secret sauce that gets them thinking on that subconscious level about us from a referral perspective. But there is a balance to how we do it. It's not like every time I walk up to you, I say, I got 15 referrals yesterday. I mean, first of all, that you can't say that if that's not true, but like, then you become that weird person who talks about referrals in a weird way, right? Yeah. Or if your thank you cards are always written the exact same way, then it's like, did you just sit down and write 12 of these yeah. at the end of the year and now just mail them out to me every time I send you a referral? Like there's a language piece to here that comes down to our, to us being authentic to yeah. who we are and being genuine. And it's the, probably the piece I tell folks, like everything makes sense. I know I get it until you get to this piece. And that's the piece that I always tell folks like, but once you get it, like I always tell my students, like once you get the language piece, you're going to be like, got it. Oh my God, I know how to do this. This is awesome and amazing. Right. But and I think too, end, like that's steps. part of the work too, right? Is, you know, like being more thoughtful other than just going like, I'm doing this to get it out to tick a box. Yes. And I think your, your willingness to be thoughtful in this is actually really, really important. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it, this all comes down to who you are as a human. And that's why I say, dude, if you're dead inside, this yeah. is going to sound like boring work you don't want to do. Yeah. Then this is not for you. Right. Right. Because you got to actually want to do this kind of work. This kind of work has to fit for who you are as a human and how you like to present yourself to the world and how you believe that you're supposed to treat other people. And like you you. said, yeah, exactly. And it's like, part of it is the heart, which even if you did all the steps without the heart, it just falls flat. Absolutely. But here's the thing. It's not the final step. 
it may be the hardest one for people to kind of wrap their heads around, right? And I always tell folks, that's why I have a program. If you need help with that, most people, some people can hear me talk about this and off to the races they go. Um, But that's why I have a program if you want additional support. But the fifth step is actually the step that matters. Now that you've heard about how important all the other steps are, the fifth step is the step that matters most for you as a business owner. And that is taking what you've just learned and turning it into a process. Mm-hmm. It has to be part of your workflow. It has to be yeah. a process within your business. It has to be things you execute on just like everything else you do. Yeah. Right. You'd never show up to a client's space and be like, okay, you leave and I'm going to do what I'm going to do in here. And then you're going to see it afterwards and we'll see how you feel. Yeah. No, you, you typically have a presentation that you do to them with some type of design board. Yeah. Right. To make sure that you're on the right track and that they like what you're doing and this is going to be okay. Right. Like it's the same thing as a business owner for this. You got to make this part of your process. And so I always say your referral sources need a referral experience, just like clients need a client experience. Referral sources need a referral experience. And this is everything I just taught you in steps one through four. And they'll never articulate it with like, gosh, Michelle, thanks so much for that great experience. Like your referral source is never going to say that random realtor is not going to be like, at the end of this year, Michelle, that was an amazing experience. (laughs) They'll never be able to articulate it like that. But that is ultimately what you will deliver to them. But to deliver on that referral experience for that referral source or all of your referral sources, what you need is a process to make it happen. Because guess what? If I'm doing Wonder Woman water bottles for Mother's Day, it doesn't work on Labor Day. Right. So you have to make sure you're executing on these touch points, however you, you space them out. And I tell folks, we don't do stuff all on the holidays either because that becomes, like nothing can seem like a templated routine. Yeah. This has to be authentic to your type of business. But like I worked with an interior designer. She was in my program um, out in Scottsdale, Phoenix area. And she typically received about four or five referrals a year. And she was like, I always tell folks, we always set a goal. When you come into the program, one of the first steps you do is you set a goal of how many referrals you want based on past history. If you follow this plan, what would you like to shoot for? Like, what are you Mm -hmm. aiming for? So she was like, okay, I get four or five a year, right? I'd really like to get 12 in a year. So like a little bit more than doubling what she typically received on her own. So like four or five a year, that's what I get on average, but I want 12. Well, we got her 13 in her first six months. Amazing. So the idea here is, is because she was willing to put in the work and go through this, but ultimately six months later, she's at 13 referrals because now this is a process in her business and she executes on it and she doesn't slack off. And that's super important. I'm so in love with all of this. This It's so (laughs) up my alley. I'm like, right now I'm trying to work through my lead process and whatnot. And now on the list is my referral process. And I'm so freaking excited. Um, Yay. I'm into it. I'm so into it. I'm so excited. I don't, how did you, speaking of referrals, how did you find my podcast? I probably need to go back and look. I'm on a number of podcasts, but it could be actually, it could be, um, I do actually use someone who helps me book podcasts. Oh, it might've been. And I, you know what, here's the thing. This is like a passion project, so I can't retain information well on it. So you're probably right. Cause I have been getting those too. So 
Yes. I'm it so probably, excited. Yeah. Yeah. It probably, if, if I were to guess, I'd probably say, cause here's the thing, here's how I build my business, right? Referrals are obviously the biggest piece for me in terms of how I bring people into my programs and welcome people into my community and to how I help people. Obviously referrals are a big, huge part of that, but I also will be guest and I will guest interview on other people's podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I also speak from stage. And of course I have a book and a podcast as well. Um, so people who may find me through because they heard me on stage or they heard me on a podcast, or they were referred to me. Those are my three big sources, so to speak, in terms of where people come into my business. They may land, you know, on my website or whatever, but they're probably going to do one of three things. They're going to start listening to my podcast and decide, yep, I get it. Just like you are, right? Yep, I get it. This is what, this is for me. Or they're going to read my book and come to that same conclusion. Or some of people are like, yeah, I'm not really a reader. Don't really listen to podcasts. What else you got? I also have a what's called a referral ninja quiz <laughs> mm. on my website. You just go to referralquiz.com. It'll redirect you to the right place, but go to referralquiz.com. What I always tell folks, if what I've said has really resonated with you, just like it has with you, Michelle, you're like, yes, I'm on board. Well, let's figure out where you're starting from. And this quiz is going to ask you nine simple questions. And at the end of those nine simple questions, it's going to reveal to you what level of a referral ninja you are. And you're going to be a colored belt. You're going to be a green belt, blue belt, or red belt. They have Very cute. Thank you. They have nothing to do with Taekwondo or karate. My (laughs) colors do not match. They're colors I like. Yeah. You can do that when you're a business owner. That's right. But it's going to put you at a beginner level, an in-training level, or a master level. And I will tell you, only 2% of people, of the thousands of people who have taken this quiz, only 2% land at the master level prior to going through my program. Like they're just, there's just 2% of us out there who get here without knowing exactly what to do. But my Mm -hmm. goal is to always take people at the beginner level or the in-training level and show them the path, the roadmap to get them to that master level. And we use these five steps to do it. We just, you know, obviously there's just more to it when you're inside the program. Absolutely. And because obviously I love podcasts, can you share a little bit about like, do you specifically focus on referrals on your podcast or do you talk about other like parts of the sales process or business or, or, slash productivity since you're also um, experienced with that. Yeah. So I would say probably about 75% or maybe it's more like 70 to 75% of my episodes are dedicated to referrals. Uh But the other percentage of that would be probably dedicated to the client experience. So making you referable. And that's, I'm actually working on my second book that I'll, well, I missed my publisher deadline to be perfectly honest. I'm not quite sure when it's coming out. It should have been out fall of 2020. It may be out um, early 2021. Um, I'm just waiting for the publisher to give me a new deadline. But so from that perspective, it's yes, the majority of it is going to be referrals, but then some of it will also be client experience. Some of it will also be other business owners who've become referral masters, kind of like what their journey looks like. There's some mm. interviews. Sometimes I talk about the sales process. Sometimes I definitely talk about productivity from a small business owner and our um, solopreneur perspective. And then I also talk about um, goal crushing because another kind of like side passion project for me that I've done for the last couple of years, I used to, when I was a business coach, take business owners away on a weekend retreat. And we would do this thing called reverse goal setting, which is how I teach to do your goals. And then when I moved into the referral space and just doing my online program, Growth by Referrals, or my Sticky Client Experience program, I kind of stepped away from doing the, the goal setting piece and the reverse goal setting and the goal finishing piece. 
And then two years ago, we resurrected that. And I actually teach my entire process on the podcast for free, the reverse goal setting process. I teach it towards the end of the year. It's pretty much October, November, and December get, or mostly November, December get dedicated to goals and goal setting and what that looks like. And then I have a group where I hold people accountable throughout the year to actually crushing their goals or finishing their goals called the Goal Finishers Club. So when you're on the podcast, you're going to hear referrals, client experience, being a small business owner, and goal setting and goal crushing. Sounds amazing. This, this is going into my regular rotation. I'm very excited. So you already shared a little bit of the, the places people can find you, but do you want to like maybe share your URL? Like where on social do you like to hang out? All that good stuff. Perfect. So home base is always going to be my website, stacybrownrandall.com. I do have a, and Stacy is spelled with an E. I do have a free Facebook group, which is where we are always hanging out, which is referrals without asking. So just Google referrals without asking or go to Facebook and search, sorry, referrals without asking and you'll pull up the Facebook group. I have, I'm on all the social media platforms, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'll be honest. I'm a little bit more active on LinkedIn and Facebook. I know all my designers are really active on Instagram. It's just, it's just not my love language. No, (laughs) it's like you said, you got to find something that you like and then you're going to do it. Otherwise like, yes, most of my designers are like, okay, coming on over to Facebook to hang with you because I know I'm not great at Instagram. Yeah. Um, but yes. And then of course you can find my book generating business referrals without asking wherever books are sold. And then of course the podcast as well. But if you just head to my website, it'll start directing you to all the places you want to go. Yeah. Your website's awesome. Thank you. Really good. Well, thank you so much. Um, you're the first person like we're today is, uh, this is actually going to go live next week. Normally I'm not quite, uh, that fast, but, um, I, this is, I have not talked to anybody during this social, social, uh, yeah. And, you know, I think I'm going to be doing more of these over the next little while. I've had some designers reach out and say like, might be a good time now. But, um, but yeah, I hope, I don't know what's going on in your world, but I hope you're staying healthy and I hope like everybody around you and anybody, you know, staying healthy during this super intense, crazy time. Thank you. We're just trying to keep our children alive and not kill them. (laughs) <laughs> be because so they're I, driving you crazy no. they are, we have we have a 12 11 and nine oh, year old oh two wow and a girl so yeah. two sixth grade middle schoolers and a ninth grader i mean sorry a nine-year-old who's in fourth grade and our 12 year old is actually not biological it's our nephew that we have custody okay. of oh, that's wow. why i have a 12 and 11 and yet yeah. we're in the same grade i was i was a little like oh okay. right. i know i always wanted right. to say that like i'm like know. yeah please don't think i just popped out babies just to yeah. pop out I, babies. Like, I don't understand how that math works but okay <laughs> yeah so you know it's our first attempt at homeschool and that's been I mean I had my first block yesterday of like two hours just with one of my kids and I had to like literally give myself a timeout when I was done I mean shout out to the teachers maybe this is going to be really good because I don't know what's going on in the states but there's a lot of strikes happening maybe this will help parents or people get pushed over the edge to give the teachers what they want when they see how difficult it is trying to do it themselves yes I would tell my (laughs) teachers whatever you want just tell me just please take them back do you want me to send them in a hazmat suit that's fine please just take them back yeah these times like this I'm like yep still sticking to that decision no kids over here yeah. Anyways, yeah, that's probably a controversial thing to say. But anyway, I know, um, you know what? We each get to make our own decisions. That's exactly. the cool thing about life. And I love it. Absolutely. Anyways, have an awesome weekend. I'm going to go pour myself a glass of wine and get the, get this party started. All right. Well, you stay safe as well. And thanks so much for the opportunity to talk to you and your community. Thank you so much. I super appreciate it. All right. That was an amazing episode, wasn't it? Um, I, I really hope you didn't fast forward through my beginning rant 
but it's, um, it's just really, really important for people to know what's going on and get their heads out of their asses. All right, guys, I have promised that I will read more reviews that you write. So I'm going to do that now. What I'm going to add, I'm going to up the ante for leaving a review. If you leave a review and you, at the end of your review, uh, drop your Instagram handle, and the way you would do that is basically the same way that the last review I sent did it, which I thought was genius, I will um, share your Instagram handle and I will tag you on my uh, post on Instagram so you get a little love. So all you need to do is just at the very end of your uh, review, just say like at your pretty place did, she gets another shout out here, go follow her. Um, then I, then you'll get a little bit of social media love. Okay. Let's just see here. I'm going to go a little bit further back. All right. Let's see. Um, okay. Love, love, love. Oh, I'm going to read this one. I don't think I read this one before. This is from orange tree interiors Val. She's been very sweet, by the way. Love this podcast. It was recommended to me by some new, fairly new newbie designers. All of us had been in the industry for two years or less at the time. I found this podcast to be an absolute godsend. I'm not religious, but the world is appro- that the word is appropriate here. Anyway, Michelle's realness is so refreshing. She lays it all out. The vulnerability, the anxiety, the imposter syndrome, the feelings of inadequacy. Oh, amen, sister. All the things you are listening. Um, I was still am feeling... I w- all the things I was and still am feeling as I grow my business. Listening to this podcast makes me feel so much better about where I'm at because Michelle is so good at sharing and being relatable. What's even better, wait, no, it's not better. It's really awesome though, is that she invites the best guests and asks the best questions so that we all get the answers we want to know, but haven't had the experience or courage yet to ask someone. She is saving me so much time and potential frustration by supplying the information I need to avoid issues before they occur. I love this podcast and I love Michelle. I listen uh, to loads of audiobooks, business podcasts, and YouTube videos every week, but this one is hands down my favorite. I want to cry right now. I've read this already once before, but reading it again makes me want to cry. This is thanks for your bold honesty and inquisitiveness, Michelle. I'm so grateful. Legitimately, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. I'm going to actually look up her um, Instagram so I can share her Instagram. So, Thank you. It's at orange tree underscore interiors underscore for that freaking incredible review. I am eternally grateful for your kind words. You have no idea. I'm like tearing up right now. Legit. Anyways, guys, uh, if you want to follow along more of the journey, you can go to real talk design on Facebook. It's a group. You got to answer the questions. We'll talk more there. Um, also, if you liked this podcast, leave a review. Like I just said, Uh, leave your Instagram handle at the end and I will share the love that way too. And please tell a friend about the podcast and subscribe. And for the love of everything sacred in this world, stay the fuck home. Bye guys. (laughs) 